Now, welcome to another inspiring edition of Sound Insight with Dr. Tom Curran. Good morning. Welcome to Sound Insight. This is Tom Curran, still reflecting on marriage. Yesterday was my daughter's 11th birthday. Coming up on Saturday is Carrie and my 29th wedding anniversary. A beautiful stewardship of walking together. Well, that's the theme of our talk today, my talk on marriage, a gift from God, part two, which is on not only that you are a gift, but because you are a gift, you're meant to be a gift. And that's where stewardship comes in. You'll find out. I hope that you enjoy this talk. Again, this is so central in my own life. I love it. Back in a minute. Hey, this is Dr. Tom Curran, the host of Sound Insight, but also a realtor serving wonderful folks like you in the state of Washington and in Idaho. I've had the privilege and pleasure of helping dozens of families in the last two and a half years discern and find a a strategy, a path, and a plan to help their families find a whole new life in eastern Washington and northern Idaho. If I could be of service to you in that, I would love to. Please reach out, drtomcurran.com, drtomcurran.com. Okay, back to Sound Insight. So I'm going to begin with a scripture reading. It's from Ephesians chapter 3, and I I love this scripture reading because it's one of those scriptures that really points to family. When I think about family in scripture, I think of Ephesians chapter 3, 14 to 19. And so I'm going to begin with that scripture reading and then opening with a prayer, okay? In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. That is why I kneel before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth takes its name. And I pray that he will bestow on you gifts in keeping with the riches of his glory. May he strengthen you inwardly through the working of his spirit. May Christ dwell in your hearts through faith. And may love be the root and foundation of your life. Thus you will be able to grasp fully with all the holy ones the breadth and length and height and depth of Christ's love and experience this love, which surpasses all knowledge so that you may attain to the fullness of God himself. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we do approach you with confidence because of this word from God, this word from you, O Lord, that you are our loving Father. And so we approach you confidently in the holy name of Jesus, and we ask and we pray and we plead that you would pour out blessings upon this night. Anoint this night by the power of your Holy Spirit. We are in need of your blessing. God, we can do nothing without you, and we want to do nothing apart from you. And so, Lord, we ask, accompany us. Walk with us through this night. Cleanse this time, our minds, our hearts, of any tiredness, of any distractions, of anything that would hold us back from being able to receive what it is you have for us. We do thank you in advance for all that you will do. We ask for your light and your peace, the warmth of your love, the true enlightenment regarding who we are in your sight and what you've put into our hands and what you offer in marriage. Mother Mary, we ask for your intercession as together we pray. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. 
the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. And so I'm going to sort of circle around the track of the key insights about marriage, the church proposing to us God's vision for marriage. But the first had to do with the concept of how we experience renewal or a revitalized marriage. And if you remember, what I said was we live in a time and in a society in a moment that says, if you want to improve something, here are seven tips, here are three habits, here are four practices, and those things aren't bad. But if you remember, John Paul II, he proposed a different path. He said the path of renewal focuses not first on actions, but rather you recognize that what actions are traced back to attitudes. Do you remember that? What you do is traced back to how you relate. But attitudes isn't the ultimate foundation. Attitudes trace back to what? All the way to an awareness, how I see. So all of last week, what was I doing? Trying to help you see, help you get clear about, have a vision for marriage. Maybe get clear about, well, what was your vision for marriage when you got married, if you had one? But then, more importantly, what's God's vision for marriage? as the church hands it on. And I talked about the gift message. So I want you to say these four sentences with me. It's going to, again, take up the rest of our time together. All is gift. gift. I'm a steward. steward. I'm to give myself as a gift. gift. And I don't take myself too seriously. seriously. Let's trace back to John Paul II's vision of the person. If you want to say, what does it mean to be created in the image of God? You have this dignity as a human being just by the fact that you're a person. He says, reflect on the concept of gift. If you know what a gift is in its depth, you'll get an insight into who you are. And so then we did that. We started to reflect on the concept of you are a gift. All that you are, all that you have is a gift from God. I want to build off of that by taking a look at the concept of stewardship. You think stewardship, you're thinking, okay, where's my checkbook, right? Where's my wallet? Because when we think of stewardship, we think of the appeal that happens at the pulpit, right? A couple times a year. And the the biblical and traditional Catholic concept of stewardship is not, first of all, that you're a steward of time, talent, or treasure. You're a steward of the gift. The gift of what? The gift that you are and the gift that you are intended to be. So the first stewardship is not of anything, but of our very being. But let's now speak this in terms of this gift message. Where a gift is given, a stewardship is entrusted. Where a gift is given, a stewardship is entrusted. Well, what is the stewardship that's entrusted in marriage? I already said to you, the marriage vow. Reflect on it. I, Tom, take you, Carrie, to be my wife. I promise to be true to you in good times and in bad, in sickness and health. I will love you and honor you all the days of my life. I can't tell you how often I might be driving down the road. I might be thinking about, okay, what am I going to be doing? Where am I going to be going? What am I spending my time? And all of a sudden, the, the marriage vow pops into my head. I will love you and honor you all the days of my life. I will love you and is that loving God? Is that loving my wife? Is that honoring my wife? And I'm thinking, oh wow. Man, that marriage vow really just pops up in front of me, right? And I'm thinking, all of a sudden, you know, God, it's like God is saying to me, hey, you said it, right? <laughs> I'm just keeping score. <laughs> <laughs> and this, in fact, is a real truth. 
that there is a stewardship in marriage, an entrustment that God undertakes when he invites us to participate in this sacrament of holy matrimony. And so marriage itself is intended to be one of these places where Christ promises to meet you. Christ himself promises to meet you in your married life, and he promises to meet you precisely to bring his life into that situation. Okay. But there are different kinds of sacraments. There are sacraments of initiation, sacraments of vocation, and sacraments of healing. Sacraments of service are different. If God ordained that you would be baptized, confirmed, and receive Holy Communion for your sake, that you'd be a saint. God did not have you get married so that you could be a saint, but rather so that by being married to you, she would be a saint. I say this to Carrie. Carrie, God brought us together so that as a result of being married to me, (laughs) you would be a saint. And Carrie says, being married to you? Oh, yeah. I'm a saint. (laughs) Now, did you hear that? Where a gift is given, a stewardship is entrusted. God entrusted Carrie to me. But he will one day measure or take account of that stewardship. Men, I'm talking to you. Women too. Because there's men, husbands and wives here. But I want you to stop and reflect on this. You know, one day our life here will end. It will end. This is not home. Let's get used to it. Heaven's home. Going from here to there, we're going to pass through something that's called judgment. And in that judgment, God is going to measure my marriage. He's going to measure the stewardship he gave to me when he put Carrie into my hands, when he blessed us with these children. And what he's going to be first of all measuring isn't maybe what I would first of all want. How well did you provide? How well did you protect? Did you get them on good vacations? Did they get the toys they wanted? Those aren't bad things. Maybe the toys. (laughs) Those things aren't bad. But what's the first measure? You know, if if God's the author of marriage, then God's going to set the measure. God sets the measure. and, And I need to be aware of that measure of God saying, I brought Carrie to you so that you would support her and encourage her and assist her on the path to holiness so that she would blossom into the saint, the holy one, that she would know my love, that she would grow in my love, that she'd be set free to blossom into the one carry that this world, that all of history will ever see. I placed her in your hands. I placed her in your hands. And this is what I'm looking for from you first, not only, not only, but first. I said tonight was going to be encouraging. Don't worry, we'll get around to that part, okay? But I believe we should have our eyes wide open regarding this concept of stewardship, that a steward is accountable. And we better be clear on the measure that God has for our stewardship. Now, one of the stewardships that God gives to many marriages, not to all, is not just a gift, but what God calls the supreme gift 
in marriage. Did you know that church has language like that in its teaching about marriage having certain gifts? And there's a supreme gift in marriage. Children. Children. The church says that the supreme gift in marriage is that the husband and wife and the union of their love, that it would bear fruit. And nine months later, that fruit takes a name. Now, I want to share with you a little bit about this for a reason. And it's, well, two reasons. The first is because of the moment in which we live. Not all moments in history are equal. And moments in history have, guess what? A way of seeing. A way of seeing that they want to foster in those that share their society or their culture. We live in a time that has been swindled of God's vision about the supreme gift of marriage. Why do I say that? In Genesis chapter 1, verse 27, God blesses for the first time in all of scriptures. And it's a threefold blessing. And the threefold blessing that God gives in Genesis 1, 27 is this. Be fertile, multiply, and fill the earth. You consider these things blessings. Fertility, blessing. A baby in the womb, a blessing. Many human beings, blessing. Why? Because each human being comes from God as a gift and is irreplaceable, unrepeatable, never be seen again. A display of God's beauty, truth, and goodness that God intends for this world to be blessed by. It's a blessing. And yet we live in a time, a time that's at least 50 years old now, where there are three blessings that have been named curses. Fertility is now a curse. Oh, to be able to engage in sexual activity apart from that threat, which is called becoming pregnant. But then if you were to become pregnant, oh, that blessing has now become a curse. But we can remove that curse. We can eliminate that curse through abortion. And then people, there are too many of us. Overpopulation is this great threat. And so I know I'm kind of touching on some sensitive moral questions. This all has to do with how we see. And how we see has been shaped by our culture. And I'm proposing to you that this gift message says that it's a blessing. Fertility, children, and people. These are blessings. Now, because it's the supreme gift, it also can be a source of real pain. It can be a source of real suffering. And I want you to think about that. Those of you that have been blessed with children, they are probably the greatest delight. Well, let me say, are the greatest delight in your life or the greatest source of suffering in your life? Uh, hello, right? I want to share with you, though, a little bit about Carrie and my journey uh, because many of you just, especially if you're in the parish, we're that family that takes up most of a row, right? And there are several families like that here. Um, but that's not our story. Uh, the first several years of our marriage, the first five years, we experienced infertility. And that was a tremendous pain. We longed for children. And it's like, God, what's going on? But to begin to say, wait a minute. Even the pain of not bearing fruit, where fruit is expected, God says, I got this. I'm bigger than this. I can even make this fruitful. 
Well, God did bless us. We finally got pregnant, but then lost that child in a miscarriage. We've lost more children to miscarriage than we've had actually born onto this earth. And we have names and dates for all these kids. Ask my kids. They know the names. And we know one day we will see these children. And even though I didn't get the gift of being a father to them on earth, I know I can still make them be proud of my fathering because they get to see me from heaven. I'll tell you, the, the, the suffering that, that I thought was there because of infertility was nothing compared to the suffering associated with the loss through a miscarriage. And then, so, okay, there's fertility, there's uh, the, the concept of the blessing of a life, and, and boy, you know, the suffering of not seeing this gift opened. Somehow God says, I got this, I'm bigger than this. I'm bigger than this. And, and, and there's even, there are even worse types of tragedies that, that, that can visit a family, that can visit a family of, of losing a child. And you can think of that tragedy, but even then, God is saying, I got this. I'm bigger than this. And you need to know this for your marriage because I don't know what kind of trial will come upon your marriage. But as a steward of God's gift, as a steward of God's gift, you have to be the one that can say, God's got us. God's got this. Well, how, where do we gain our confidence? Where do we gain our confidence for that? We have to gain it at the foot of the cross. Why? Because the cross, Jesus Christ crucified, puts on display the worst thing that this world and all of history has ever done. Did you hear that? What's the worst thing that humanity has ever done? Killed the Son of God. That's the worst thing. And we were part of it. We were there. And yet, what did God do? God said, I got this. He turned it into the greatest thing that he ever did. He said, you think Good Friday's the end? Watch this, Easter Sunday. I'm going to turn the worst thing that humanity could ever do, and I'm going to turn it into the greatest thing that I could ever do. So we need to know that as stewards, that no trial will come, no suffering will cling to us, that God is not bigger than, that God will not be able to see us through. Hi, this is Dr. Tom Curran, and you know me as the host of Sound Insight. I am also letting folks know that As a realtor licensed in the state of Washington and in Idaho, I love serving Catholic families and others who are discerning a move for yourselves. It's much more than buying or selling a home. It's discerning a whole new life. If that's something that you would find uh, a help in, if I could be of service to you, please be in touch. You can find out more at drtomcurran.com, drtomcurran.com. Now the happy part is generosity. The church uses the word generosity around this supreme gift. There are two messages that come to us when we just are out in the open as a family. And the first message that comes is, I so wanted more children, but I was robbed. I grew up in a time, we we, we lived our married life in a time that had a different vision for how children fit in. It wasn't children are the supreme gift. I love what my brother-in-law said when he was talking about children. And I said, well, how many kids do you want to have? And he said, well, how many Christmas gifts do you want to have? As many as I can get, right? Yeah. Children as the supreme gift, this openness to life with generosity. And we want to be open. People say, are you done? And I say, well, I hope not. 
I want to be open to whatever God wants. And if God has another child, another gift. And, and people say, well, isn't it more work? The work, the burden is additional. But the joy is exponential. Did you hear that? The burden, yeah, it is more. It's an addition. It's an additional burden. But the joy is exponential. Why? Just real simply why. It's not just an analogy. It's a, it's a truth. It's a little more laundry, it's a little more, it's a little more food, it's a little more diapers, a little more complexity, right? The burden's additional, but the joy is exponential. Why? I've seen things in Mary Grace that I've never seen before Luciana showed up. I've seen things in Anne Marie that haven't been seen in my family before because of Luciana showing up in my family. Luciana has made Anne-Marie more fully Anne-Marie in a way that she never would have been had Luciana not appeared. You getting it? Now, guess what? What Luciana has brought out of, brought out of Anne-Marie has brought something new out of Mary Grace related to Anne-Marie. Right? And that's also, what that's brought out is brought out something new out of Mary Catherine. I'll keep going. <laughs> but it's like this intertwining, and it's just this expansion. It's exponential the joy, the kind of celebration and play and that one child brings. Yeah, it's an additional burn, but wow. The joy overflows. It's too much. It's too much. And so I share that with you for yourselves, but to hand on the church's vision. The church's vision, which is a biblical vision. Be fertile, multiply, fill the earth. These are blessings. And children are the supreme gift. Okay, well, how do we live as a steward? Let's, let's dive into this and talk about living as a steward in terms of um, presentation, vision, affirmation, and intercession. I want to cover those four ways of living as a steward. The first one is presentation. What do I mean by presentation? Well, tomorrow's the feast of the presentation of Jesus in the temple. As the firstborn son, Jesus would have been brought by Mary and Joseph to the temple, and they're presented in the temple as a sign that this child belonged to God. Tomorrow we celebrate that. That is the first act that we make as stewards of the gift, is the act of presentation. What do I mean? One of our children... Um, was born with a, um, uh, an internal uh, disorder, an internal difficulty that was an emergency. And so we took, uh, they literally took her out of my arms in the delivery room and brought her by ambulance over to the neonatal intensive care unit at Tacoma General. And um, she had surgery the next day. And in her young life, she's already had six surgeries, right? She's seven years old. And to look at her, you wouldn't really know that there's anything different about her. But this little girl has had a tremendous amount of suffering in her life because of her condition. Now, um, when she was six months old, she needed to have a surgery that was considered delicate but not life-threatening. Delicate but not life-threatening because the surgeon was going to um, go in there and he was going to, as far as possible, he was going to try to uh, address a, an internal uh, biological difficulty that if he was able to fix it or improve it, she wouldn't suffer so much every day. She wouldn't have to suffer so much from uh, her daily condition, but it would be improved. It would be improved, and she would be able to suffer less. It wasn't correctable, but it was at least an improvement. But there was a lot at stake 
in getting this one right. So I remember on the day of the surgery, Carrie and I were there holding our six-month-old baby. And all of a sudden, in comes the surgeon and the anesthesiologist and the, and the attending nurse. They came in and they, you know, they explained everything. And before I hand over my baby into the hands of the surgeon, uh, I said, can we pray? And he said, sure. So I, I prayed like a father would pray for his daughter. Dear God, please, I beg you, bless my little girl. Please help her to be okay. Please bless this surgeon and, and, and these other medical staff. Just guide their hands. Help them to do just a great job. And Lord, if they don't, strike them down. <laughs> I didn't say that. I thought it. I thought it. I didn't say it. God, just please guide their hands and help everything just go perfectly well. Amen. And he looked up at him. He said, amen. Right? <laughs> and then I remember putting my baby into his hands. And I remember this thought flashed through my, uh, through my head as I handed over my baby to the surgeon. And, and what, I, what, I, what came through my head was, dear God, I need this man to have a good day. There's a lot at stake in him getting this right. He gets this right. My daughter is going to be improved and suffer less for the rest of her life. If he gets this one wrong, he goes and have coffee afterwards. But my daughter is going to be left in this condition that could potentially not improve for the rest of her life. I need this man to have a good day. I presented this, my baby, into his hands. A presentation. You need to know this. As parents entrusted with a spouse, and some of you with children, your first act is presentation. Presenting this one to God. Do you make that act of presenting your spouse to God? God, this is the spouse you gave me. Here she is. (laughs) Not with that attitude, though, right? Remember, you see, you see. But I mean that utterly sincerely. And you need to know why. Because presentation does not first begin with you. Hmm? Presentation of the gift is not, first of all, your presenting your child to God or your spouse to God. It's God presenting his child to you. It's God presenting Jesus presenting his bride, his spouse, to you. You see, it's God who needs you to have a good day. God has done an amazing thing by placing this child into your hands. And you need to see this child with that, through the eyes of that gift. What a stewardship God has given me in giving me this child. What's the first thing I need to do with the child God's given me? Give the child back. God, you got to help me here. I'm bringing this child to you. I need you to bless the child you've placed into my hands. If you've never done it before, please, oh, please make it a daily action. Bring your children before God in prayer. Bring your spouse to God in prayer. That act of presentation. Why? Because God did it first. Now, presentation leads to vision. Now, vision has to do with seeing. If you're going to live as a steward, now God has presented this child to me as a gift. Well, what's my call? You remember, I've already shared with you this notion of what a gift is, but each child is unique and precious. How do I help my child to recognize that? 
And so the first time I was flossing Anne Marie's teeth, I was down on my knees, just down on my knee, opening her mouth. And I had one of these like little animal flossers, right? And I was flossing between each of the teeth. It was pretty difficult work because she was not very compliant. And then when I finally was done, I lifted up. <sighs> Anne Marie looked at me with a big smile on her face and she said, Dad, I can see myself in your eyes. Oh, come on. Oh, come on. That was a good one. That was a good one. That was a big wind-up for that little pitch there. You got to give me some slack, right? That, that is a fundamental truth. Daddy, I can see myself in your eyes. Any of you that have been blessed with children, I need you to know this. One of the stewardships God's given you is this, that when your children look into your eyes, they want to see who they really are. And who they really are is who God intends them to be. Not who you intend them to be, but who God intends them to be. That's that stewardship. But I tell you, do you understand the fundamental role that's yours? You give them a vision of themselves. Because who they really are first is going to be who they really are in your eyes. There's a whole tradition behind this. Remember, who are you really? You are who you are in the eyes of God. Remember I gave you that homework? Go to prayer and don't ask, God, what would you like me to do? God, this is what I'd like you to do, right? That's what we normally do. But instead say, Lord, who am I to you? Jesus, speak to me who I really am. Speak to me my name. Show me who I am in your eyes. Anybody do that? I do really encourage you to do that. Now, there's a power. This has tremendous power to shape and mold kids' lives to shape and mold kids' eyes. Why? Because their identity, their deepest identity, is not something that they're going to become that they're not already. Here's a way of saying it. It's drawn from uh, the image of sculpting. And it's this. The sculptor doesn't make the statue. He removes what hit it. Michelangelo saw that block of marble, and what did he do? He saw the David. And it was his task to free the David from the marble. He was able to see the masterpiece in that block. Your children are a masterpiece of God's creation, even though sometimes you see a little blockhead. <laughs> this isn't just my idea. Listen to Hans Urs von Balthasar, an amazing theologian, one of Pope John Paul II and Pope Benedict XVI's favorite theologians. This is one of my favorite books. Uh, it's called Truth of the World. Don't get it. It's, uh, yeah, I don't mean that in the wrong way, but it's like, it's like the metaphysics of truth. Okay, Do you really want that book? But listen to what he says in here about the administration of truth, the way that we are to administer this idea of seeing who someone is, this idea of presenting to them, Daddy, I can see myself in your eyes. Hopefully I can see this text with my eyes. Okay. He says this. He says, the, the ideal picture that the knower, the dad or the mom, cherishes when he's also a lover of that child is, uh, is as much subjective as it is objective. It's something that lives in him, but it's also about this real subject. Unless, I'm going to change the words to fit us, unless the mom or dad presented that ideal the child would never have dreamed of aspiring to it. 
or else he would have grown faint in the attempt. It would have seemed too fantastic. It takes the faith and confidence of the mom or dad animated by love to give that child the faith and confidence that the truth of the ideal had before it is real. And at love's bidding, the child ventures to be what he or she could have been but never would have dared to be all by himself. Isn't that beautiful? And so he goes on and on, and he talks all about, well, what happens when that mighty oak is acting like a little nut? And he talks about veiling, not seeing. And when you don't see that child who's showing up in non-gift-like ways, I don't see it. I still see through it. I still see that gift. I'm going to remove what's hiding it. Um, I am going to talk to you about some key ways of going the next step of beyond seeing to speaking. And that's by affirmation, speaking to them, and intercession, speaking to God. And they're, they're traced back to this idea of seeing. Once you see, it's going to shape how you relate and how you behave. Well, one of the behaviors is going to be how you relate to your kids or your spouse, and the other is going to be how you relate about your kids to God. So we're going to talk about affirmation and intercession. Affirmation. What's affirmation? You've heard of affirmations. You look in the mirror and you put that little words tape, you are beautiful. Say it. I'm beautiful. Right? Doesn't work. Right? So, um, but what do I mean by affirmation? Affirmation has to do with words that build up. I grew up in a home with a dad who was in construction. And sometimes he'd bring us in to help do renovations and things. And so there was the task of tearing down the walls that needed to be knocked down. And then there was the task of, after cleaning all the mess up, lining the uh, proper form of, okay, where are the walls going to go? And then all the careful work of putting the new wall up. Let's just say it was a lot easier to tear down than it was to build up. See the connection? (laughs) In speech, it's a lot easier to tear down, to poke fun at, to use negative humor. What's humor? Humor at someone else's expense, sarcasm, ways of speaking that are just ugly. It's easier to tear down than it is to build up, to notice and name how someone is a gift, how someone has certain gifts, how they've used those gifts. I want to propose to you the power of affirmation by looking at how speech shows up in the scriptures. Where is the very first place in the scriptures where God says something? And God said, let there be light. And there was light. God, when he speaks, there's creation. Something out of nothing. Order out of chaos. I tell you, the way you speak in your family has a dramatic aspect. What you speak into your kids' lives has a dramatic aspect. Because only a few chapters later, you have God intervening in the lives of a bunch of people who are using their speech in one way to actually counter God. And what does God do? Babble. Speech is used to bring chaos and disorder out of a wrong order. Here's the drama of your use of your mouth in your marriage and in your family. You will bring order out of chaos or you will bring chaos out of order. 
Those are your choices. Who's happy to be here? <laughs> are you affirmed yet? You know? But do, do, do you hear the power of that? The power that God has placed in your hands is that he's given you a mouth, and then with that mouth, he wants to create something. You can speak words that literally bring something out of nothing. That masterpiece of God's creation. Not only will they see it in your eyes, but they'll hear it in your mouth or not. Not only this, you look at what, this, what the, the tongue does. The tongue brings death or it gives life. You want to have a vision for speech in your home, you write down John 11. You write down John 11 because what happens in John 11, I talked about it last week. Jesus rolls away the stone and what does he do? He speaks the name of the one who was in a tomb, three days dead. And one word, Lazarus, and one sentence, come out. And what happens? Raises the dead. Raises the dead. I tell you, in some of your homes, there are maybe young people, there are kids, maybe that 16-year-old who's feeling like he's in a tomb. He's cut off from light. He feels stuck. He doesn't know the way out. And I say to you, God has placed in your hands a capacity to say, Lazarus. You know what the name Lazarus means? It means one whom God helps. I don't know what your son or daughter's name is, but I do know that your son or daughter has another name. It's Lazarus. Why? Because that son or daughter is one whom God helps. How do I know that? Because God has placed you in the life of that child as her mom or dad. And your speech can literally be used by God to raise that person up out of the darkness and into the light. That's the stewardship of affirmation of speech. What else? Words are used to curse or to bless, to bring bondage or to set free, to heal or to destroy. All of these things in the scriptures, speech. That's the power of language. Now, you need to know this. When you were baptized, you were plunged, you were immersed into Christ, remember? And as a result of your being immersed into Christ, Christ is immersed into you so that you are to be a witness. And remember, a witness is not just someone who talks about what you've seen and heard, but rather a witness is one through whom Christ is at work. Okay, did you hear that? How would you like to be God's microphone in your wife's life? Say yes. Yes, he would. (laughs) God, make me your microphone in my spouse's life. Wow. Carrie tells me all the time she's the Holy Spirit in my life. (laughs) So you stop and you say, this is what the power of affirmation is. Okay, I'm going to give you three tests. The first is the whiteboard test. You may not like these tests, at least the first couple. The first test, the whiteboard test is this. Don't tell me who your kids are to you. Don't tell me who they are in your eyes and how they live in your heart. Because I, I, I already know who they are. Tell me what you actually say to them. The whiteboard test is imagine there's a whiteboard. You might want to actually use a notebook. Don't tell me who they are in your eyes. Actually write down what you say to them. What are the words you actually speak to them? Then stand back and after a period of time, a day, a couple days, a week, Actually look at all the words you say to your child and tell me what that says to your child. Or insert spouse here. That's the whiteboard test. Really seriously consider that. I I hold that in mind and it's not always pretty. 
But boy, I thank God for it. Wouldn't you thank God to become aware of, wait a minute, if the only time I'm intervening in my kids' lives is when they're doing something wrong, because I don't have to say anything when they're doing something right, then what are they hearing? They're only hearing words from my mouth that are about correcting or disciplining or changing behaviors in a tone of voice that isn't always necessarily upbuilding. Just think about that, the whiteboard test. You want another test? Okay. Ten task test. Have you ever given or had a spouse agree to do ten things on that honeydew list? Or the kids are given ten things to do? And then you left the house. And then you came back and they did eight. They did eight. What do you notice first? <laughs> the two that didn't get done. And, and if you say the eight, you say the eight only for the sake of being able to get to the two that didn't get done. Come on now, lay it out there, right? The 10 task test points out the fact that we oftentimes don't spend enough time naming the gift that a person was and instead draw attention to the gap where they fell short. The next one is more subtle and you have, you have to pay close attention to this. This is an important one. And that's the gift versus gifts test. Tom, I know about affirmation. I affirm my kids all the time. I want you to stop and think about the content of your affirmation. Do you affirm them based on what they have done? How they have used their gifts in some positive way? Hey, great job in school today. Hey, I was so proud of you when you came in second in that swimming race. Hey, I'm so amazed at how well you did in that basketball game. You see what I'm affirming? I'm affirming what someone is doing. That's gifts. That's that God has given my child gifts. It, my children are all very gifted, you know. So. You have gifted children too? Okay. But you, you, you laugh at that because what? That's all we hear about is the gifted child, how gifted they are. But what gets lost or veiled is the fact that Gift message is not, first of all, at all about what they do, about what they contribute, but it's about who they are. And so the ability to affirm someone based on the gift rather than on the accomplishment, what they've produced, how they've achieved or performed is fundamentally important. Why? You may have a very gifted child who, when they're thrown into the pool of other children, stand out. And when you affirm them for that, guess where they just might begin to focus their identity? I find my identity in my superior performance. You see, my gifts shine and cause me to stand out when I compare myself to the next person. Eventually, something's going to happen. That gifted kid of yours is going to bump into a more gifted kid. I don't care how gifted they are. They're going to bump into someone that's more gifted someday. And when they do, identity crisis. Because I cannot find my identity any longer in my superior performance. I've been outperformed. But that's not where we were supposed to find our identity. It's in who we are. It's in the person that you are. You're never going to be more fully who you are than who you are. 
Now, how does that show up differently? Let me give you an example of how that shows up with little kids, okay? But right now, let me talk about it like my five-year-old son, John Mark. My son, John Mark, wants to play baseball. My son, John Mark, is not very good. So he takes the bat, and he is standing there, and, and, you know, and it's like, what do I want to do? I like baseball. Okay, correct the stance, correct the bat, how you stand. Okay, keep your eye on the ball, right? What does John Mark do? Misses every time. And then I realized that after about 10 minutes of this, who's frustrated? Yes, I am and he is because neither of us are being successful. And then I realized, oh, I get it. This isn't about improving his performance. It's about being with my son. Gift. My son is a gift. Let me just celebrate being with him. So the call that I have at that moment is not to tell my son to keep his eye on the ball, but it's my job to keep my eye on the bat. I keep my eye on the bat, and I'm watching how he swings, and you know what? Okay, John Mark, here it comes, and I throw the ball where the bat's going to go. He hits the ball, and it's celebration time. (laughs) Do you get it? Is he getting to be better as a baseball player? No, not at all. But I'm celebrating John Mark because I'm keeping my eye on the bat rather than telling him to keep the eye on the ball. Are you following me? It's learning how to just, here are the words of just affirming someone based on who they are. It's celebration. It's play. Do you know how to just play with your kids? Just enjoy your kids. Just how to be with them, doing things, having conversations, go to a movie, hang out with them, go have a meal with them, go just go to the bookstore and, and just be with them. So 101 things you can just do just to be with them, right? Learn how to just enjoy each other as spouses and just enjoy and play with your kids. Okay, enough with the tests. Let's talk about when it comes time to actually make that act of affirming, how do you do it? How do you actually speak words that build up rather than tear down? Real quickly, five aspects. I could go into 10 aspects, but I wanted to fit it all in one line. So I'm only giving you five. First is be specific. Second, authentic. Third, be measured. Fourth, positive. And five, let it stand alone. What does specific mean? It's easy to say, Laurie, you're just so amazing. Laurie's worked with me for 11 years. That in itself is an accomplishment, Laurie. And I affirm you. So... Uh, and I just say, no, Laurie, you're just amazing. Do you feel affirmed? A little. A little, right? <laughs> and if I said, Laurie, what I'm amazed at is the way that you just work so hard and you're very specific. I get these emails at different times at night and I email back, please stop, right? Just, and how you just work so well and hard and dedicated for the ministry. It has such a powerful impact in my life and in the ministry's life. Thank you. Do you feel more affirmed? Much, Much more affirmed. What? It's specific. It's very specific. Now, the second is be authentic. You don't just say, okay, now, okay, what can I affirm about? Oh, my wife, she cooked a good meal. Okay, so honey, you cooked a great meal. No, it has to be authentic. It has to really be in you, right? Let it be authentic. Let it be something that really lives in you, right? But third, let it be measured. What's measured? I didn't say, Laurie, when I get that email at 10 at night, I think that the heavens have opened and an angel has spoken to me. (laughs) Right? That's flattery, right? You can go beyond the measure. You can go beyond the measure in terms of affirming, and then it loses its power. Speak it, but speak it to a degree that, that it in fact, is true. Um, 
Oh, uh, let me put in one other one. Let it be near in time to when the action occurred. <laughs> right? That was one that didn't make it on the page, but be near in time to when the action occurred. Aff- affirmation loses its power. Honey, remember six months ago? You know? <laughs> affirmation, when you can do it near in time when the action occurs, it has that much more power. Write a little note. Send that email. Right? So bring home a little gift. Um, let it be positive. Okay. This is not an affirmation. Right? An affirmation is, John, you're, you know, you're so much more encouraging than you were last year. <laughs> you know, Doug, you're so much less sarcastic than you used to be. Right? Feel affirmed, buddy. Yeah, he's right there. Right? No, you speak it in a positive way, in a positive way, not in a contrary to where the negative or where the improvement came from. And then let it stand alone, right? And by that I mean, don't use the affirmation as an introduction to then bringing up the critical thing you really wanted to get in, right? So sometimes you use this, it's called a sandwich technique. You speak the affirming thing, you slip in the critique, and you come back to the affirming thing, right? You get that? So just learn how to affirm in a way that it stands alone. I didn't put down how often should you affirm. Let me say it this way. If we thought about it and said, do I affirm too often or not often enough? (laughs) It's probably the case that almost all of us fail to affirm enough. So I know I've heard it said, someone said, well, if you do it too often, it's not going to be appreciated. I say, test that theory. (laughs) When your wife says to you, please stop telling me how much of a gift I am when you look in my eyes. I'm just so tired of hearing how precious I am to you and how you can't believe that I actually got to marry me. <laughs> Send me that email. And let me, I want proof. I want proof, okay? So, um, so I want you to leave you with that. Now, just let me give you some homework. The homework last week was to let the Lord love you and reveal the gift that you are to him. Your homework this week is to try to affirm at least twice Every gift that God has placed in your life that's called a family member, okay? Can you at least twice find an authentic, specific, measured, positive, near-in-time, stands-alone affirmation to that person that's in your life, okay? Try it, and you'll see order coming out of chaos. You'll see healing coming out of brokenness. You'll see someone, you'll see the dead brought to life. Now, that's speaking in a way that lets the Lord speak through you to those that are near and precious to you in your life. It's my final message. It's about intercession. God honors the relationships he establishes. If you're married, if you've got a family, God honors that relationship. What I mean is God has given you permission and even an expectation that you would move into that relationship and speak to him with even boldness on the basis of that relationship. He wants to bless you through that relationship. Let me give you an example. When Carrie gave birth to baby number eight, Luciana, when we were at home and we were going to go visit Carrie for the first time, this is what I did. I went to the dollar store and I got, um, I got about, I got seven cards and seven gifts. I was looking for cards 
that were reminded me of Mary Grace and Anne Marie and Mary Catherine and Ariana and John Mark, John Luke and Annalise. In other words, thinking, what would be the gift that Mary Grace would really like Carrie to have to celebrate the arrival of the new baby? And so I went out and I picked all of these gifts and these cards, and then I got them all together in the room, and I laid them all out in a pile, and I said, okay, now, I want you to pick the card and the gift that you'd like to give to mom to celebrate the baby. Do you see where I'm going with this? So each of the kids picked out, they've picked exactly the ones that I thought they would want to give, and they were thrilled that they got to give this gift to mom to celebrate new baby. I designed it in a way that said, I intend, Carrie, to get these gifts. This is my goal. My, my exact purpose and point was that Carrie would get these gifts, but that she'd get these gifts through these kids. God honors the relationships he establishes. What does that mean, John? God established you in relationship with Amy because he intends you to be a conduit of blessing into Amy's life. There are some blessings that God said, I so wanted these gifts to be given to Amy. And you know what? I'm going to give them to Amy through you. And if you don't act as that conduit, she might not get them. God honors the relationships he establishes. What's intercession? Intercession is when you go to prayer for somebody else. You pray for someone else. And we get this all backwards. We get this all backwards. We think that we have to convince God to do something that he hasn't thought about. (laughs) Right? Because he hasn't noticed what's going on. God, Aunt Betty, she's sick in the hospital. She's got a family. Would you heal Aunt Betty, please? And it's like God's in heaven going, what? She's in the hospital. What? I turn my back for one minute and Betty is in the hospital. How did that happen? What should I do? Heal her? You... That's a great idea. I should bless her with a healing, right? Intercession is not God's, it's not our attempt to get God to notice a situation he hasn't seen and to do something he hasn't thought of. Intercession is God's attempt to get you involved and bringing a blessing to this earth that he intends to bring, but he intends to bring it through you. God intends to bring blessings to this earth far more than ever happened. Why? Not that God isn't willing, not that God's not paying attention, but because we're not asking. And we're not asking precisely in the relationships that he's established. When God establishes you as mom or dad, husband or wife, God gives you permission and even expects you to pray boldly. Remember that stewardship that's yours? Something about making that spouse a saint? That happens, first of all, on your knees in hidden ways that your spouse will never see. And then it'll happen in all the ways that flow out of that. And so I say to you, you're a steward. Live your stewardship. Let's pray. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Loving God, we thank you and praise you for the gift that each of us is and for the gifts that you've presented to us in our lives. And I ask and I pray and I plead for the grace of an awareness that we are stewards, stewards of such an immense gift. And please, oh God, give us the grace we need to be faithful stewards. Lord, we want to hear at the end of our lives, well done, good and faithful servant. Come and enjoy your master's reward. That's what we long for, Lord. That's what we want. And so we do pray for our spouses. Make them saints. 
We do pray for our kids. Lord, raise them up, set them free to be the masterpieces that you intend them to be. Give me your eyes for my wife, for my husband, for my kids. Please, oh God, give me the grace to know how to live out the stewardship that is mine right now, right here, and today. And so, Lord, I willingly present myself into your hands. And I make this prayer in Jesus' holy name. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.